so good to be here at New Harvest Norwalk. You may be seated. Thank you all so much. We are always so blessed to come, my wife and I, and our, our church. Thank you for your hospitality. Norwalk, New Harvest Norwalk, we always look forward to just the, the things that we glean from such an awesome church. You know, if you're here at New Harvest Norwalk, you, you're in an awesome church. You know, this is where I can tell you, if God has brought you, he's going to do something good. For all those visitors that are here, my gosh, you know, keep coming. That, that's the best word of advice I can give you. Keep coming because God has so much more that he wants to unfold before you. See, he's not going to tell you everything all at once. He's going to show you little by little the goodness that exists when you're in the things of God. So that's just an encouragement for those that are here. Hopefully you can continue to come, those of you that are here for the first time. But I would like to get into this topic. I know you guys have all been in a topic today on unity. And this month's topic is a very crucial topic for the health of the individual Christian and also for the health of the church as a body. Unity is essential. It's a must. It's not a if you feel like it. It's not an if I'm comfortable with it. It's not a, well, that's not my style. It's essential. It's required. And God doesn't want it just because it's the popular thing right now. Because how many of you know that right now unity is a thing that everybody's all about? Unity, unity. Let's all be united. It, it doesn't matter what you do, what you don't do. We're united. And, and I get that. Unity is a popular topic right now for unity's sake itself. But how many of you know that for God, he also has a purpose for unity? It's not just everybody unite regardless, just because it's the cool thing to do right now. Just because it's the PC thing to do right now. It's the thing that everyone expects of you at work, right? You have to, you have to get along with everybody. If anybody doesn't like you, then you must be doing something wrong and we're going to write you up. Sometimes they don't even want to hear your side of the story. It's just three people said this about you, so something must be wrong with you. Get it together. You know, there's the, the, you know, it's like you all have to get along. It's a must. It's a requirement. Well, for the church, God has a purpose for unity. There is a God purpose for unity, which is why we as a church must be eager to maintain unity. I'm going to say that again. We must be eager to maintain unity but especially amongst conflicts. Because how I many know unity is cool when everybody's cool with it? But the moment there's conflict, I don't want to be united anymore. I'm not liking what you said, so I don't want to be united to you anymore. Today's sermon topic is unity amongst conflict. The Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he actually tells the church, he says, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which, I, to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. I like this scripture because of the words it uses. Let's look at this scripture, if you don't mind leaving that scripture up. It uses words like humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another. 
church. He's talking about how you and I need to get along with people in the church. Sometimes we have to put up with each other. Am I right? Let's be honest, church. Sometimes people rub us the wrong way. Am I right? Come on, don't be shy because you're in church. You're afraid people are going to look at you like, oh, you don't get along with everybody? No? Are you serious? No, come on, let's be real. Sometimes attitudes, you know who you like to talk to and you know who you don't like to talk to. You see the people you like in this row. You see the people that maybe not so, so you sit on this side. <laughs> Paul wasn't dumb. He said, put up with each other. Bear with one another. He knows it's not going to be easy, church. This is why it's such an important topic. Because God likes to deal with things that sometimes we don't like to. The reason we are to be united is not for selfish reasons. That's why he says we have to have patience. That's why he says we have to be gentle. Because, see, no one's gentle for their own sake. You're gentle because you want people to feel like, okay, he was nice, she was nice. You and I really don't get anything out of being gentle. It's the other person's like, oh, wow, they were really sweet. They were really gentle. I like the way they said things. They didn't raise their voice. They were so kind. It's always for the other. You see, this scripture is for the other people in your life in the church. This is for reasons beyond ourselves. And I like what he says. It's for the sake of the calling to which you and I were called. You and I are called to be eager in unity. And what else are we called to? What else are you and I called to, church? What did Jesus save us for? We are called to be disciples of Christ. Ultimately, your calling, my calling, is to be a disciple of Christ. There, is, there should be no other higher purpose for you and I to be saved. We have to be disciples of Christ. What were the words Jesus told his disciples before he left? He said, go make more disciples. I need more disciples. So let's look at this first thing as unity and discipleship. The first point today is unity and discipleship. There was recently an interesting finding through some research done by Barna Institute that found this. Spirituality loves company. Spirituality loves company. You and I are spiritual people, right, church? Um, I guess five of us over here are spiritual. What about the other sections here? Are we a spiritual people? Come on, church. I mean, our spirituality, our faith, isn't that what defines us as Christians? Otherwise, we would just be a group, a club, an organization. What makes us different than a group, a club, an organization is that we are spiritual. And our spirituality is supposed to love company. The research shows that spirituality loves company. 
In other words, we are best as a spiritual people when we serve God together. We are best as a spiritual people when we serve God together. I'm taking you somewhere, church. We're laying the foundation for something that God wants to do today. So I pray that you all open your hearts and be ready because God wants to do something powerful in all of our lives today. After all, this is the reason that Jesus established the church in the first place, right? Because he wanted us to serve him together. If he didn't want us to serve as a church together, he would have said, don't worry about making disciples. Save them and send them home. Save them and send them home. Save them and send them home. No, he wants us to come together. He said, upon this church. Amen? The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Jesus said the word church. Jesus established the church together, spiritually. You and I are to be discipled as a spiritual people together. We are meant to be spiritual together. Going solo means you're missing out on greater fulfillment in faith and friendship. If you decide to serve God solo, you're missing out on an aspect of faith that God intended for you to have. You're basically telling God, it's okay, God, I, I don't need this piece of faith. And God's like, oh, you don't know what you're missing. You don't know the friendships that I want to bring into your life. But, 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 but God, I, I, I've had some church hurt. Some people have hurt me before. I, the last church I went to, or the other brother, and, you know, he, he did this, and he said that, or, or the sister said this, or the sister said that. I don't want to open myself up again. And God's saying, that's just one or two. I got so many more friendships in store for you. And if we look at the life of Jesus and his discipleship, we can see that through the discipleship of Jesus, when he discipled men and women with his disciples, his approach is one where faith is practiced and dependent on community. He said, we're going to serve God together. Come on, you guys, let's go. Where are we going? We're going over here. Okay, what are we doing? We're going to cast out some demons. Okay, now we're done. We're going to go over there. What are we doing? We're going to go heal the sick. Okay, now what are we doing? There's some people that need to be fed. Come on, let's go. What did he do? He went as a community. He could have done it by himself. He didn't need people. What was he trying to show us? That you and I need each other. He was trying to show us, you need each other, disciples. I'm going to go to the Father, but you guys are going to be left here together. Faith is practiced and deepened in community. Did you know your faith is only deepened when you come together? Oh, no, pastor, I read seven hours a day and I pray ten hours a day. Praise God for that. You're still not as deep as you could be if you're not coming to church together. This is why church attendance is so important. This is why the devil hits a lot of people. There's people here that you know what I'm talking about. The devil hit you before you came to church today. Because he doesn't want your faith to be deepened in community. There are some people not here because the devil got in the way of their faith being deepened. We've all been there, church. Come on. 
Let's be honest with each other. Can we be honest today, church? Because today we're going to have an altar call where we got to be honest. Part of being a disciple isn't only following Jesus, but it's being followers of Jesus together. Being united in growth is being united in discipleship. If I'm not growing, church, you're not growing, and the church isn't growing. But if you're growing, I'm growing. Pastor, where's that scriptural? Iron sharpens iron. If you're sharp, you're sharpening me. If I'm dull, I'm making you dull. And basically the church is being dullified, if that's a word. Excuse my grammar. Being united in growth is being united in discipleship, church. Unity in the church basically leads to greater discipleship. I'm giving some some really important points here because I, I, I really want us to grasp the importance of unity. I think too many times we put unity aside. And we think it's all about my prayer life and and, and my commitment to God and my sacrifice to God and my obedience to God. And yes, 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 those are all important. But don't forget about unity. Which is why the enemy will constantly use the strategy of conflict to destroy the unity in the church. If he can bring division between brothers and sisters in the church, it slows the work of God down, am I right? If there's division and conflict, the move of God is halted. It's a huge strategy of the enemy. If we allow conflict with our fellow ministry workers, for those of us in ministry, to affect our ministry and our ability to minister to others, then the devil is pleased. Because we are, in effect, stopping church growth. Lack of unity stops church growth. Oh, no, pastor, I I don't like them. They don't like me. We're cool with that. As long as I go and just do my ministry, I'm doing it unto the Lord. You don't understand. You know people could feel tension? People sense tension? Your kids sense tension. Parents, right? You might be having a discussion, and the kids walk in, and they're like, You didn't say nothing. They didn't say anything. But they're like, I'll be back. (laughs) Because tension is felt. How do you think people feel when they walk through the doors and the church is full of tension? They walk in and they're like, "Mm, I wasn't feeling it at that church. That should never come out of a visitor's mouth. Because that's our fault, church. If, if we're causing that tension, and they may never tell you this, but if you feel it, they feel it. They may not need to know you. They don't have to know what's going on. They just know, hmm, something, something, something's happening. I'd like to give an example, if I may. Um, if I can call up that couple that was going to help me. Um, here we go. Angel and Sonia Quintero are going to come up. Come on, let's give them a hand. Good, good friends of ours, thank you so much for 
being willing to come up for this experiment. No, I'm just playing. It's a demonstration. If you guys could stand here. Link arms, like when you got married. Beautiful. They're united. They are united in marriage. They're connected by their marriage vows. And I'm not saying they do this, okay? So these are just examples, okay? So if they both fight each other about, let's say, which way to go, Let's say Sister Sonia would like to go that way and, and, and Brother Angel would like to go this way. Now pull on each other. Go your way. All right, there we go. We see a struggle. We see some, some pulling. Okay? Yeah, and, and some pushing and some looks. Okay, that's good. They're getting, you know what's happening too? If I would have kept going, they're getting tired. When they're not in unity, it makes you tired. The church gets worn out. They're fighting each other about which way to go. And guess what? Did they get there? No, they didn't get anywhere. When the church fights each other, you get nowhere. Now, let's, let's say they decide, okay, Sonia wants to go that way. Angel really does not want to go that way, but he's going to go grudgingly. All right? All right, she's still pulling them. They're making some progress, slowly. Okay, that's good. But you notice he kind of did it grudgingly. What happens when you just kind of do things in the church grudgingly? You know, the people that are trying to pull the vision along, they get tired. You might be like, well, I don't agree with that vision. I don't think my ministry leader understands what needs to happen here. But I'll go, I guess. And what you're doing to your leadership in, this, in an essence is you're wearing your leaders out. And what happens when you do that to your leaders and then your leaders decide to step down, you're like, oh, yeah, see, I didn't think they had it in them. No, 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 no. Always look within. Did you pursue your own will? Well, no, I went along with them. Yeah, but you made it hard. You made it tough. That happens in marriage. When one marriage, one person feels like they're get, always getting their way and the other person's like, I don't really want to do it. The other person gets tired. And then what happens sometimes in marriages is that they dissolve because the one person gets tired of pushing and pulling the other person and I'm done with this. And then the other person's like, wow, they left me. See, it's critical Unity is critical because if you don't do it, it's dangerous. It's dangerous to marriages and it's dangerous to the church. And yes, one gets their way, but the other one isn't happy. What happens when you have a church half happy, half not? It's not good. And unfortunately, the spouse sometimes, you know, may have a stronger opinion than the other spouse. And then what happens is, let's say Angel wants to go this way. She doesn't agree with Angel, but she goes along. She doesn't, she doesn't fight him. Go ahead. She doesn't fight him. And it looks normal. It looks good. But she's not happy. Okay, you guys can stop now on this side. So to everybody else, it looks good. But there's internal conflict going on inside of her. I don't like this. I don't like him. 
but I'm going to do what I got to do because it's my duty. And see, you don't want the church to get to a place where you feel like that because of lack of unity in heart and in spirit. Maybe the action seems to be flowing, but your heart and your mind are not. Now, imagine this beautiful marriage in unity, happily going together right off the stage. Give them a hand. Look at, they're in unity. They're hugging. I didn't even tell them to hug. I love it. Why? Because they're in agreement. You see, church, when you and I are in agreement, as a church, the church moves. And you observe and see, wow, that's an awesome marriage. I want a marriage like that. Well, guess what happens when people see the church working in unity? Wow, I like that church. I want to go to that church. I want to be in that church. I want to be under those leaders. Unity is critical for discipleship. Now, the other examples I gave before that, now those were not examples of unity. Those were examples of conflict. Those were lack of unity examples. And they could destroy a marriage and they can destroy a church. We need to be spiritual people and pray about conflict. Spiritual people pray, right? If we're not praying, we're not spiritual. Oh, pastor, but I watch 20 YouTube sermons a day. Oh, pastor, I, I mean, no. That doesn't make you spiritual. That just makes you a good YouTuber, viewer, whatever. You see, spiritual people pray about conflict so that it doesn't destroy the unity of the church. If you feel conflict, it's normal. What you do with it is what makes the difference. You can take it to your prayer closet and say, God, I didn't like the way this took place. I don't feel right about the way things happened. I'm feeling conflicted. Help me in my conflict, God. Or... You say, oh, I don't like the way I feel. Guess what, sister? Brother, you know how I'm feeling right now about that guy? That is not how you deal with conflict. What you're doing is sowing seeds of discord when you do that. And that is an enemy tool. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Sow seeds of conflict and dissent. I'm not saying you can't have an opinion about things. I'm not saying you can't feel a certain way. What I am saying is, did you pray? Did you pray about that conflict first? Or was your first response to go tell people? Because we're going to feel conflict, church. It's not a maybe. We are. We're going to feel it within ourselves sometimes. You know, I have a, another example in, in regards to unity in the church. Um, and I like to use an example of a, a movie. Like, have you guys ever been to a movie theater and the sound stops working? And you're watching the video. And then you're kind of getting upset because it cuts in and it cuts out. And then you're like, what in the world is going on? And then the video just stops working sometimes. And then you're disappointed because you get all this feedback coming through the speakers. And you're like, I want my money back. 
This is supposed to be our date night. You're disappointed. You're upset. Because you don't get the full picture. You don't get the full sound. You don't get the full effect of what the movie's supposed to be like. Now, I gave you an example right now. Good job, guys. I told them to do that, by the way. They're not in trouble. Because, see, when the video is not lined up with the sound, it doesn't make sense. You know, we have to be lined up in unity as ministry workers. When, when one ministry isn't working in alignment with the other, what you get is all that horrible feedback. And sometimes people don't leave their feedback with you as a church. Like, I really don't appreciate the way this was. No, they just leave. Their feedback goes with them. You see, it's important as ministry workers that we be united. Only when and if, if both the sound and the video are in unity, do they perform their best, right? What good is going to a movie if all you can do is hear it? And you're trying to, hmm, sounds like they're fighting. What actor is that? I don't know. I can't see it. You're not getting the full effect of what the movie's supposed to be like because the audio and the visual are not united. And church members, I want to let you know something. You get the best audio and visual experience when the sound and the video line up, right? Sound and video are so important to those that come to the church, believe it or not. More than you know, this is a very important thing for us as churchgoers, right? We love that. We enjoy that. But it vastly and greatly affects and is important to new visitors. We live in an era where media is what draws people. Media is at the top of their list. And when I say media, I mean sound, I mean lights, I mean video, I mean audio. So if they come into a church, this is the generation that we have to understand is coming in. I'm not saying that's what it's all about. I'm saying that's what they're looking for. If we can get that together, which our church here does a great job, by the way. Amen. You can clap. If they see unity in the video, the audio, the visual, the lighting, they're more likely to come back. They enjoy that. And then God gets a hold of them. You see what happens when we're not in unity? We are a distraction. And the people that God is trying to plug in, the people that God is trying to bring in, are distracted from the message that God is trying to give them. Because they see infighting. They see disagreements. They hear comments from people like, oh, try not to hang out with that brother. You know, come with us. Why would you say that to anybody? I mean, that doesn't happen here. But I'm telling you, conflict is a tool the enemy uses, and we as a church have to be very careful not to give in to that. Now, that was just a demonstration. Likewise, when you and I as a church member are in conflict and disunity with one another, church members, we're affecting the whole church. We're affecting the whole church. 
What, what if the sound guys said, oh, it's just the sound. They, they can still hear it. Yeah, but it's not coming through good. Ah, stop complaining as long as you can hear it. You see, sometimes that's the same attitude we take with the conflicts that we go through as people in the church. Yeah, I got issues with her, but what's the big deal? I get along with 10 out of the 12 people I know. Hey, that's a pretty good percentage. Still not unity. Even if you don't think it does. But it's not enough to just say, okay, guys, pastor said we have to have unity, so let's just be united. It's not enough to say that. I wish it was. No, we have to look at why there is disunity. We have to look at the reasons. We're going deep tonight, church. We have to examine ourselves and find out why we have lack of unity. Why? Why is there discord? Why is there conflict? Why is there a lack of unity? Where does it sprout from? Oh, it's her fault. Oh, it's his fault. No, I'm not talking about that. Don't point the finger. No. There are many reasons for lack of unity and many good ones, but they all root to one cause. Lack of unity comes from lack of love. Lack of unity comes from lack of love. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8 says, Above all, love each other deeply. Why? Because love covers over a multitude of sins. Paul was not talking to heathens. Paul was talking to the church. He's telling the church, love one another deeply, please. It's almost like a plea. Like a, a begging, please love each other, but don't love each other just to love each other. Love each other deeply, because when you love each other deeply, it covers over the multitude of sins. Peter is telling the church something very significant here. And if you can leave that scripture up for me. He is saying the most important thing you and I can do as a church is to love each other. Love each other. He actually says to love each other deeply. And he states this because if we don't love each other deeply, sins cannot be forgiven. Oh, Jesus forgave me of my sins, Pastor. There's no worry there. Mm -mm, I'm covered by the blood. I'm full of the Holy Ghost. But you don't love your brother in the church. Oh, that's his fault. But, but that sister, you don't know how she is, Pastor. I can't love her. But I'm covered by the blood. You see, Jesus says, I will forgive you of your sins, but there are some things that you need to forgive of each other. Some things that you and I need to forgive that come from others in our households, but others in the church. Peter knew that if we don't love each other, we will not be able to forgive one another. That's why he said you need to deeply, deeply, deeply love each other, please. Because if you don't love each other, you won't forgive each other, and there's going to be conflict. And if there's conflict, there's going to be lack of unity. And if there's lack of unity, then we're not a church anymore. You see how it's all tied into love? And what I also want to point out is that there are some in the church that may and will sin against you. I wish I didn't have to tell you that. 
People will offend you, church. People may have already offended you. But I believe God is trying to show us that are holding on to these offenses, look, if you hold on to it any longer, you're going to be in disunity with the church. But it's not my fault, God. And God says, I know it's not your fault, but I need you to forgive. Was it Jesus' fault that you and I sin? No, but he forgave us. He forgave us. It wasn't his fault, but he forgave us. It may not be your fault, but you need to forgive them. You may not have started the conflict. You may be the one that's tore up over the conflict, and God is asking you more. Now forgive them. And you're like, but God, why don't you make them get right? God's like, I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about you. You may be offended at the way a brother in the church spoke to you. I didn't like that tone he got with me. Who does he think I, he is? Doesn't he know I've been here so many years? By the way, maybe one leader maybe didn't take your opinion and now you're offended. I told my leader this and he didn't listen to me. He didn't take my idea into consideration. Or maybe you're offended because one of the pastors didn't go out of the way to say hi to you. I'm, I'm, I'm telling the truth. People get offended by those things. Or because maybe one of the sisters made a comment about your clothes or your attitude and you didn't like it. Or even worse, they didn't notice that you got a new outfit. Just plain. Sometimes guys are the same way with tennis shoes, so guys, you shouldn't be clapping. You guys are like, oh, yeah, look at my Air Forces. Yeah. You know, it's... And you get all mad because they didn't compliment you the way they complimented somebody else. You know, we find a lot of things that we get offended by, church. Let's be real. Those are funny, but it's true. Some people get offended because they didn't get any recognition for what they did in the ministry, for what they put into the ministry, for all the work they did in the ministry. You may get offended. I can go on. See, Peter the apostle, he knew church people. And he knew they needed to love one another. Because this is the only way that we are going to be able to move forward and move forward in our walk with God. He knew love conquers all. Jesus especially knew this. He knew this. He, he believed that loving one another in unity will actually show the world who we are as Christians. John 13, 34 to 35 says, A new commandment I give you, Jesus speaking, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. How many times did Jesus say love one another in that scripture? Three times, love one another. If you love one another, they'll know you love one another. And they're going to know you're my disciples because you love one another. How often does he have to repeat himself? He's trying to make a point. When you and I love one another as a church, we're showing the world what true disciples are.
Our unity in the church can be a testament to the unsaved world. The way we treat one another in church will either draw people in or away from the church. This new commandment was actually instituted by Jesus himself. He says, this is a new command, guys. I'm going to give you guys a new command. So if we are called disciples of Christ, are we called disciples of Christ today? How many disciples of Christ do we have in the house today? I'm not asking how many people are church members. I'm asking how many people are disciples of Christ today. Come on. Trying to wake you all up today. God is trying to wake us up. I believe God is trying to stir the church. Because for too long, the church has been disunited. For too long, the church has been divided. For too long, people within the church have been in conflict. And it pains the heart of Jesus because he said it over and over and over again. Love one another. Love one another. Love one another. Peter, Paul, love each other deeply. Be eager to be united. They constantly are telling us. And I believe the reason why the church has not reached its full potential is because too much division has gotten in the way. God is trying to wake us up as a church. He's trying to tell us, look, I know you're hurt, son. I know you're disappointed, daughter. But please forgive them for the sake of the church. Please move on for the sake of what I'm trying to do in this world. Jesus is ready to come back. And he's expecting us to prepare the world. How can we prepare the world if we're in conflict with one another? How can we show people Jesus if we can't even love each other like Jesus? God is trying to wake us up, church. He is trying to stir us up in the most crucial thing he ever showed us, which is his love. We have forgotten his love. And we have gotten caught up with everything else but his love. We have gotten caught up with numbers. We have gotten caught up with style and fashion. We have gotten caught up with social media. We have gotten caught up in the hype. And God's like, go down to the basic foundation of love. We must try our hardest, like Paul said in his first scripture, with all eagerness to love one another. Are we eager to love one another? Sometimes it's not easy, church. Sometimes, I mean, if, if you know and you've been in any type of conflict with somebody, you're not eager to go love them. Let's be real. You are not looking forward to seeing that person, especially if they offended you. Let's be honest. But God is trying to tell us, don't wait for them to change. They may never change. I need you to change. He wants us to change. Imagine if Jesus said, well, I'll forgive them, but I need to see some changes in their life. Oh, my gosh. We would have never had the forgiveness of Christ. What did Jesus have to do? He had to bust open the door in our life and say, I'm going to change you whether you like it or not because I love you. That's what Jesus did for us, and that's how eager you and I need to be for the sake of love. I'm not going to let this interrupt my love for Christ. Okay, they might have said something. They might have had a bad day. In their mind, I forgive you. Move on. 
Don't be so offended. And married couples, we need to do the same thing. We need to do the same thing. We know each other's darkest, darkest, darkest downfalls, right? And sometimes we get into this mode of like, oh, well, the church don't know you like I know you. <laughs> and God's like, you too, my son. You too, my daughter. Forgive your spouse. Or your marriage isn't going to go anywhere like Sonia and Angel up here. You see, unity is essential for the church to move forward. Many theologians have stated that this new commandment that Jesus gave was actually a representation of seven of the original Ten Commandments because it had to do with sinning against others. The first three commandments of the Ten Commandments had to do with our sinning against God. So here's a breakdown of what I'm talking about. Those first three had to do with how we honor God for the love of God above all. The other seven had to do with how we treat man and how we love, love our neighbor, our brothers and sisters in the church. Isn't that interesting? When it comes to us, he had to give us seven commandments. <laughs> when it comes to loving God, he just needs three. Wow, aren't we a piece of work? <laughs> he knew we needed it. Jesus summarized it by just saying, love one another. And you know why? Because then people are going to want to get saved. Because they're going to see like, hey, those, those people are different. They're, they're disciples. They're, they're Christ followers. They're Christians. Wow, I, I like that. That's pretty cool. I, I want to be a part of that church. Hey, what church do you go to? Basically, Jesus was making it simple for us. He wants us to know that it's not as hard as you think. He summarized those seven commandments into one. He just summarized it. For, isn't that awesome? I'd rather follow one than seven. But guess what? When you follow that one, you're following the seven. It is possible to walk in love with one another. That's why Jesus said it. If he didn't think it was possible, he wouldn't have wasted his breath. He knows it's possible. In closing, unity is essential to the success of the church. How many of you guys want your church to succeed? We live in an era where churches are closing down. Churches are folding. The doors are closing, and unfortunately, COVID had a big impact on that. There was another time when churches closed and folded, and that was during the Dust Bowl. We don't have a Dust Bowl, but we have COVID that we're dealing with. But you know what? We can resist to close down these church doors by the way we love one another. See, unity is the evidence of love. When we're united, that's the evidence of love. It blesses my heart when people come to our church at Anaheim and people tell us, man, there's a lot of love in this church. And I hear that and I'm like, wow, that's awesome. Thank you. That, that, that inspires me. Because you know what that tells me? That they see the love and the unity in the congregation. Unity is the evidence of love in our lives. Unity is the evidence of love for God. And unity is the evidence of love for one another. But sometimes as church members, we let things stop our love for one another. Let's be real. Due to our differences, differences of opinion, differences in our ways of thinking about things, kind of like this. 
Oh, no, that's a six. No, that's a nine. I told you it's a six. No, it's not. But see, from their perspectives, they're both right. Part of the problem with us in the church sometimes is we think we're right, you're wrong. And then they think you're right. No, they think they're right and you're wrong. But you might both be wrong. You might both be right. Why are we going to bicker about so many different things? Evangelist John Wesley said this about unity in the 1750s. He says, though we cannot think alike, may we not love alike? May we not be of one heart, though we are not of one opinion? Without all doubt we may. Herein all the children of God may unite, notwithstanding the smaller differences. Are we going to agree on everything? No, but let's agree on one thing, love. Let's agree on loving one another. Being united in love. You're entitled to think and have your ideas and your opinions, but don't let a difference of opinion cause division in the church. These differences, believe it or not, can bring unity, like they do in a marriage, right? One married person and the other married person, they come together, they both have their strengths, and together they are united, and they become stronger. Am I right? Married couples, you missed a good place to say amen. Unity amongst conflict. Is there going to be conflict? Yeah. Are you going to be united? That's up to you and I. That's up to you and I. Church, I'm going to do an altar call today. And I want you to really be honest with yourself when this altar call takes place. But before we do that, I want to give people a chance that don't know Jesus, a chance to be united to him. Because unity starts with us accepting Christ as our Lord and Savior. When we unite with Christ, that love conquers all. It conquers our sin. It conquers our pain. It conquers our hurts. It conquers whatever abuse you may have experienced. It conquers whatever disappointments you may have had in your life. The love of God conquers all. And if you don't know Jesus today, or if you've come back after taking a, a long trip away from God, and now you're ready to come back, be united with Christ. Let's bow our heads.